You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Amen. How far have we come in just one year? Isn't it good? It's so much better. It's so much better than it was. We pray it continues to get better and better. We're here in person on this Resurrection Sunday. We have an opportunity to say Easter things on Easter to each other right here. I, I say we take this opportunity again. It's one of those you have to be prepared for. In uh, all of my time as a Christian, it's never come naturally to me on Easter, maybe because we only do it once a year. It's that part where you say, he has risen indeed, after I say, he is risen. That's beautiful. We've got to take every opportunity that we can to say these things together because, because they matter. Well, we're here this morning on this Resurrection Sunday to finish what we started. We started something on Good Friday. I told you on Friday night that Good Friday services are unique in our church and every church because they're one of the few, if not the only, service that doesn't resolve itself in the end. You're, you're left hanging until you come on Sunday and we finish the story the account resolves. Our hope is born again and new. And so we're grateful to be together finishing what we started on Good Friday. Those of you who are uh, just joining us this morning uh, or, uh, or you're new to our church, we have been in a preaching series called Short and Stout through the five shortest books of the Bible. And uh, just last week, we reached about the middle of the book of Obadiah. But as I was planning the preaching schedule and looking at what texts we would preach, I realized that on Easter Sunday, we were arriving at a verse in Obadiah that says, do not gloat over your brother in the day of his destruction. And that didn't sound very Easter to me. <laughs> and that bat is a little too heavy for me to swing. And so I'm going to swing a different bat this morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, you can turn with me to our text, which is Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. This is my... 25th Easter as a Christian. And as I think back uh, across those years, I see so many, so many things, as I know you do in your life as well. So many things have changed, but some things have remained the same. One of those things for me, and I think it's probably true for you, that has stayed the same, is that I seem to need a regular reminder of what difference the resurrection makes in my daily life. I need a reminder of what Easter says to me in my mundane moments. On the moments of Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday after Easter or a month from now or six months from now, because it seems to slip away from me so easily. So we're, we're trying to answer the question this morning, what difference? What difference does Resurrection Sunday make in your life, in my life, every day of the year? In 1977, Alexander Vorst made his way into another children's book written by his mother. On Friday night, we thought together about Alexander and his horrible, terrible, very bad, very bad day. And we thought about how Good Friday is, in fact, as we look at exactly what happened, 
while our redemption was accomplished on the cross, that it was a very bad day. Well, in 1977, Alexander found his way into another book, and this book was called Alexander, Who Used to Be Rich Last Sunday. This is a story about Alexander, a young boy whose grandparents have come to town, Betty and Louie, and they come bearing gifts. They brought for Alexander's dad, Lox, L-O-X, because he liked that. They brought plants for his mom, and they brought money for Alexander and his brothers. To be precise, it was $1. In 1977, that was a lot for a kid. He wasn't sure what to do with that money, and so his dad told him that he ought to save it uh, for college. He knew that he was joking. His brother Anthony said that he ought to take that dollar and go buy a new face because Anthony stinks. His other brother, Nicky, said that he could bury it in the garden in just a little time with a little water would grow a money tree. He knew that wasn't true either. His mom said he should save it for that walkie-talkie he's been wanting. But as Alexander says in the story, saving money, saving money is hard. So that money was burning a hole in his pocket. He began spending it little by little. He went down to the store and he bought as much gum as he could possibly pack into his mouth for 15 cents. Didn't satisfy him. He tried to sell the money back or the gum back for a a nickel. They wouldn't go for that. He lost 15 cents betting his brothers that he could jump from a high platform and land on his feet. He found uh, some chocolate out, and it was about to melt and go to waste, so he thought that he would save it, and he saved it by stuffing it in his mouth and eating it himself, later to find that it actually was Anthony's chocolate. That was another 20 cents. He always wanted to rent his friend Eddie's snake, so for 12 cents, he rented that snake for an hour. For five cents, he spent on saying bad words to his brothers, charged by his dad, Three of his cents he accidentally dropped into the toilet. He lost five cents when Nick wanted to show him a magic trick and made those five cents disappear. And he lost another five cents for kicking his brothers. At the end of the story, he lost 25 cents or spent 25 cents on half a candle, a bear with one eye, and a deck of cards that was missing the two of clubs and the seven of hearts, but Alexander didn't care. And then he told Grandma and Grandpa to please come back soon. The refrain throughout the book is, last Sunday, I was rich. It was so hard for Alexander to hold on to the riches on that Sunday. They seemed to slip away. He made all of the wrong decisions. He he couldn't keep his hands on it. And as I read that story and I think about this Sunday, I think about my own experience over those 25 years, and I am a lot like Alexander. I think you're a lot like Alexander. It is hard to hold on to the resurrection. Today is Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday, and we're rich. But as you know, it won't be long. It won't be long, and you will feel, you will feel poor. So we have to answer the question, how do we hold on? What does it mean for us to hold on to the resurrection? Well, as we're going to see this morning, we must understand what his resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ, is all about. And what I want to show you this morning is, at least in part, it is all about his presence. 
If you were with us on Good Friday, you heard the time that we spent together. There were two themes that we keyed in on. They were loss and loneliness. And at the end of that time, I, I made this statement. I said that if we are really going to embrace the meaning of the gospel and Jesus' resurrection on Easter, we must be able to embrace the utter loss and utter loneliness of Good Friday. Because in just a little time with the resurrection, they will transform into ultimate gain and ultimate fellowship. And so that's what I want to show you this morning. I want to help you, and I want God to help me, to better understand how I can hold on to the resurrection. What does that mean? And what does his resurrection presence have to do with my life? What difference does it make? Does it make in yours? So we join together here in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. This may be a familiar passage to you. It's where we find the Great Commission. Uh, but I think that there is something here in the Great Commission that uh, makes all the difference. It made all of the difference in the disciples of Jesus, and it makes all the difference in our lives as well if we're going to hang on, hang on to the resurrection. And so we begin here by noticing what difference his resurrection presence makes in daily life. And this is first. We see in verse 18 that his resurrection presence is our hope in a hostile world. Starting at verse 16, this is where we pick up a bit of the context. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Isn't that such a picture? It's a, such a picture of that, that yet that sits between Good Friday and Easter. Uh, sort of stuck between two places. Stuck between the, the already but the not yet. And just like they were, so are we. And so we need, we need to understand his presence that his resurrection presence is, first, our hope in a hostile world. The passage goes on in verse 18, and it says, And Jesus came up. He came up to them, and he spoke to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The word authority was very telling. It was very telling in that moment. It's very telling in our moment, in this fallen world in which we remain as, as people who have remaining sin, who are pressed on every side by temptation and, and trouble. That word authority means that things are not going to be easy. Why else do you need him to say all authority has been given to me unless you're, you're questioning where's the authority? Where is the help? Where is the hope in this world? Remember, the disciples have just come out of a very difficult time. They came out of a very bad Friday, despairing, demoralized. And he is comforting them. He's comforting them with his presence. And he does it by telling them about his authority. This authority confirmed what they already knew. And it was, in a way, Jesus' promise that trouble would come. But their hope was, our hope, 
that the resurrection was not just an event that happened and you mark the calendar and then every Sunday you remember to think about it, you remember to talk about it, you remember to read about it, you preach maybe a sermon about it, but that the resurrection made a daily difference in their lives as they walked in this hostile world. It says something about the power of his presence. The power and the difference that it makes to know that because I belong to Jesus Christ, he is not far away. He is right here. He is present. That's what the the resurrection delivered to his disciples. It delivered back to them what they had lost. His perfect, authoritative, sovereign, loving presence. And it made all the difference. All the difference. You know this, and I know this, in really simple, small ways as we, we navigate trouble in the hostile world. We go through a great loss or, or disappointment, and we have other struggles, or there are, there are bad diagnoses and temptations and our own failures. And what often makes a big difference is just the presence. That's simply the, the presence of another person. They may not even know what to say or know what to do, but the fact that they're there makes a difference. This was really driven home for me a handful of years ago. I was flying to uh, attend a conference, and I was sitting uh, in the window seat, and someone sat next to me, a, um, a woman. Uh, and so I, I was, I was, I'm usually afraid on airplanes because I want to share the gospel with this person, and I usually don't know what to say. And so I'm, I'm praying, God, help me, help me know what to say. Help me know how to, uh, how to respond and how to strike up a conversation. And so as I uh, looked over, I began talking with her, and usually my go-to is to somehow work pastor into the conversation. That's a pretty quick route to the gospel. So I asked what she does, and she tells me, and I said, oh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I said, do you enjoy flying? She said, no, I don't. In fact, I'm very, very anxious. And I noticed that she had been sitting since she sat down with her head back against the headrest. We haven't even taxied onto the runway yet. And she kind of has her hands together, and she's wringing her hands. And so then I'm thinking, what should I say? What should I do? I, I'm not the, the brightest bulb in the box. And so I actually needed her to flip the, the light on for me, and she did. She said, oh, you're, you're a pastor. Oh, would you, would you just pray for us that everything's going to be okay? I feel so much better knowing that you're sitting next to me. Wow, God let me sit next to a pastor. <laughs> Little did she know all of the turmoil going on inside of this pastor. <laughs> to be completely honest, I was not very much help. But it made a big difference. She immediately calmed and everything was fine. We continued talking. I found out that she was a believer. We, we talked about where we were from and what God was doing in our lives. Presence matters. Now, if you think that a frightened, fumbling pastor's presence on an airplane makes a difference, and it does, they imagine. Imagine what a difference the presence of the king of the universe who holds all things in his hands. What difference does that make? You may remember in the book of Exodus, Moses was leading Israel out of bondage and through the wilderness. 
Not only had they suffered the utter hostility of Pharaoh's oppression, but in every step of their journey, they faced a treacherous and a hostile world. And it's a world not much unlike the world that we live in. Sometimes I think we look back at, at the world of, of the Hebrew Bible or, or other times in Scripture, and we, we're kind of shocked by the things that people are doing. But if you just watch the news, it doesn't seem a whole lot different, does it? We're living in the same kind of hostile world. It does not appear to have gotten much better. It was a world like ours. It was a world of hardship and temptation and struggle and failure and danger. And so in that situation, on that journey, if you look back at Exodus 33, you see what Moses did. He pleaded with God. He was so incredibly washed in his need. He was feeling so inferior and unstable that he's pleading with God, please, God, give us a sign of your favor on this journey. And then God replied. This passage is always stuck with me. It comes up over and over again in my life or as I read other parts of Scripture, even as I read this passage here. God says this. He says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Isn't that astounding? Won't you show me a sign of your favor of all the different things you might imagine that God could do or, or the kind of things that you would ask for to, to show you that he favors you, that he's going to care for you? What does he offer? He may offer something that you would have never thought of, my presence, my presence will go with you. Moses immediately knew the importance of God's presence. In fact, in that moment, he said in return this, if your presence does not go with us, don't lead us up from here. If your presence is not going to go with us, leave us here because we'll never make it. For is it not by your going with us that we, I, and your people may be distinguished from all other people who are on the face of the earth? It is. His presence. Indeed, it was the presence of God which made all the difference in their hostile world. And it makes all the difference in ours. You want to know why the resurrection is so important? There are many reasons. But one at the center is that it is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he is present. Present with you, not far away, not off somewhere else. Though not bodily present by his spirit, he is so close, he is, he is within us. The hope of Christmas is that the coming Savior would be Emmanuel, that he would be God with us. You wonder why the disciples were so distraught at his crucifixion? Because he was not with them. Uh, they weren't sure if he was going to be with them, 
But on Resurrection Sunday, there, O come, O come, Emmanuel, was there. And he was there. He was there by his promise forever. Jesus' promised presence was the hope of the disciples. And if you are in Christ today, it is your hope today. Because we too are foreigners in a foreign land. We are in a hostile world. So if you want to take this Easter message and you want to put it into practice, I hope that you do. Here's how you begin. You must do what I find so hard to do. And that is to revel in his presence. To revel and to exalt and to be reminded and to think about. To think about the resurrection, not just as this thing that happened and then we moved on, but as this thing that happened that made him present in all of the moments of life. He is present and he is present with authority. That's number one. And now number two. His resurrection presence is our hope in the hostile world, but his resurrection presence is our reason to get up every morning. We're trying to zoom in on the difference that this makes in daily life, and that's a, that's a good way to put it. He gets us up in the morning. The hope of his presence among his disciples who were living in this hostile world, his presence took away their fear. It gave them hope, but it did something else, which we see right here in this great commission. It motivated them. It motivated them to get up and to get moving. In fact, his, his resurrection, his presence infused them with resurrection purposes. Look at the difference that, that is made between Good Friday and Sunday and the, and the bit of time after. They are defeated, cowering, hiding behind locked doors, uncertain, weeping their eyes out. And then with his presence, they are lit on fire. That's why he says in verse 19, go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. It was his presence that got them up in the morning and got them up every morning. We need that, don't, don't we? I, I need that. I need him to get me up in the morning. Do you remember in the Gospel of Luke when there were two men walking down a road to the village of Emmaus? And these men, like others, were gravely disappointed, as were the rest of the disciples following his death. They were demoralized. They were despairing. They were panicking about their lives. Where would they go? What would they do? How would they survive if the same authorities who could kill their king came for them? After that, what reason do they have to get up in the morning? What do they have to look forward to? Their king was dead. He was gone. Then suddenly as they're walking down the road, and I don't quite understand it, in some kind of disguise, Jesus starts walking with them on the road. 
He starts having a conversation with them about all of the events that had taken place and why they were so sad and despairing. Of course, he knew the reason. And he starts unfolding for them the scriptures from Moses forward. And he's explaining to them why the Christ had to suffer and die. They're having this conversation, and he's unpacking the scriptures, and, and they don't notice it until later, but they, they start to feel their hearts grow warm and, and on fire. Their hearts were, were burning within them as he was talking to them, still in this strange disguise. So as the sun set, they've arrived there, uh, I believe, in the village of Emmaus, and and so they say that he should, he should come in and stay with them. It's starting to get dark. I mean, how much further could you possibly go? Jesus does another really weird thing that I don't quite understand. He pretends like he's going further down the road. And they plead and they plead, no, 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 no. Come on in. We insist. You need to come on in. Let's, let's keep this conversation going. So they go inside and they're going to have a little bit to eat. And, and he begins breaking the bread. And I don't know how this happened. I don't know if it was something supernatural I don't know if it's just they came to their senses, but as they're sitting around and he's breaking bread, all of a sudden, the disguise falls off, their eyes open, and they realize it's him sitting right in front of them. That's who had been walking with them. That's who had been unfolding the scriptures about this Christ who would suffer and die and what his purposes were. At the end of the day, after this long journey, tired and just trying to get something to eat, all of a sudden, there he is. And if that isn't weird enough, as soon as they recognize him, he goes poof and vanishes from their sight. He just disappeared. Can you imagine that? I don't know what you say. I don't know what you do. You look at each other. What was that? I'll tell you what you do. You get up. And that's what they did. They suddenly got up at that night, that very moment, and they raced back to Jerusalem to tell what was true. He is alive. They said, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened. You're never going to believe this. But he is alive. He was with us. Well, just as the presence of Jesus motivated them to sprint back that night. Listen to this. His presence gives you and gives me incredible motivation to get up in the morning. It is the reason to get up in the morning. In fact, without that reason, I cannot think of another. I can't think of another that, that really matters. It raises a question for, for everyone. What meets your morning? When you wake up in the morning, do you do, guilty as charged, what I tend to do? Grab my phone. Scroll, 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 scroll. Catch up on the news. Catch up on Instagram. Get that cup of coffee. Check your to-do list. Is that what meets your morning? If you're like me, probably so. But is that really strong enough to get you up in the morning? Is that really the reason to get up in the morning? 
I need the constant reminder. I need the constant correction. No. That is not why we, as Christians, get up in the morning. We get up because Christ is up. We get up because he is present. You see, every morning, you and I wake up with an object. You, you have an object before you, something you're reaching for, something you're striving for. And every morning that we wake up, we wake up to, to an affection, to a disposition, to something that we love, to something that we want. The question is, is that really worth getting up in the morning? Is that really worth pursuing throughout the day? Well, I'll tell you this, though I don't need to. That will never last. It will always disappoint. It will always let us down. But not his presence. So instead, instead of waking up to Instagram, instead of waking up to the Associated Press, instead of waking up to dripping coffee, though there's nothing wrong with that, instead of waking up to your duties, why don't we wake up to his presence? Why don't we wake up and we, we force this thought into our hearts and minds? We, we remind ourselves you're up. In fact, you never went down. You are, have not been asleep. You have been working. You are present. You are with me. You are risen. And then we get up. And for that reason, we get moving. Because his resurrection presence is our reason to get up in the morning. Affections that word, you know, we use that word uh, sometimes, and sometimes it's hard for us to get our, our minds around. It's not one that we use a lot now. You know, sometimes we talk about affection, like you have affection for another person. That's certainly, that's certainly part of it. But what in the world do we mean when we say affections? You wake up with an object, and you wake up with an affection. It simply means that you wake up with some pursuit of gladness. And in that morning question, it raises another, what is it then that makes you glad? What is it then that you want to squeeze gladness out of? Where are you? Where am I looking for it? Well, friends, I want you to see third and last today that his resurrection presence is, in fact, not just our hope in a hostile world. It is not just the reason that we get up in the morning but when living and thinking and believing rightly, his presence is our gladness in this world. His presence is even our gladness in the midst of trouble. If we look anywhere else, we'll be disappointed. It is our gladness, the ultimate affection in all the world is gladness in Christ. It is at the joyful heart of Christianity. It is at the heart of Easter. Everything, look around you right now. Think about your day, what you have planned, perhaps the rest of the day. Everything about Easter screams gladness. 
colors, baskets, candies, sunshine. But all of those things, why do we do that? Why do we do those things? Why do we wear what we wear? Why do we make baskets? Why do we hide eggs? We do it because it points to his presence. It is a way of of illustrating for ourselves what this day means, what his resurrection means. It means that he is alive. It means that he is with us. It means that all of his promises are true. None will be left unaccomplished. And it means that he is here to be, to be our gladness. Do you remember what happened right after Jesus appeared to those two men on the road to Emmaus and then he, and then he vanished before them? It wasn't long after that as they had run back to town to tell what had just happened that Jesus did something else strange. He sort of reversed the vanishing act. The men had found the rest of the disciples and they were locked in a house behind closed, locked doors. They were telling the disciples about the amazing truth that Jesus was alive again and he had done this crazy thing, just was like came up on us on the road and then we were sitting there eating and then all of a sudden he wasn't there. They are on fire. And then in another astounding display of power, poof, Jesus appears before them again in their midst in their presence. As you would imagine, they were startled. They were frightened. They thought they were seeing a ghost, but they were not seeing a ghost. To them as well, Jesus explained the reason that he had to live and die and then rise again. And his presence in that room, his presence did something for them. It filled them, as the Bible says, with joy and amazement. Don't underestimate that like I do. Don't roll right over that. Joy and amazement. It says in verse 41, while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. They could not believe what was going on. They were so full of joy. They were overwhelmed with it. It was just, it was too good to be true. Have you felt that before? In little ways in your life, something happens. Someone grants you an incredible gift or or God allows you to reach some, some big goal or accomplishment and you feel like this is just too good to be true. You've never felt anything like this. They were filled with joy and amazement. And then he says, have you anything here to eat? What is that about? Eat? At a time like this, you just poof, poof. You want to eat? Why? Because of presence. He is magnifying his presence. I'm not just a ghost. I'm not an apparition. I'm not going to dissolve in front of you and, and, and never be with you again. I am here to eat with you. 
And that is what he did. In their darkest moment, their darkest moment, the worst day in human history, in a moment, his presence had made them glad. So what about you? Are you glad about his resurrected presence? You can be. I can be. But are you? Like me, I would assume it's a yes and no. Sometimes I am when things are going well. Sometimes I'm not when things are going poorly. Sometimes I am when things are going poorly. And it's a real shocker to me because God's grace is at work. But we're stuck. We're stuck between the Y and the T, aren't we? And if we want to do well, if we want to walk well in this hostile world, if we want to get up for the right reasons, if we want to be filled according to God's design with the ultimate gladness, we need his presence. We have his presence, but we need to grip his presence. Not just today. You see, this is going to be the hard part. The hard part is we're going to move on. We're going to go back to a don't gloat over your brother in the day of his destruction. And it's going to be a fight to hold on to his presence. Now, we from right up here on Sundays and in community group and hopefully one-on-one, we're going to do everything we can to keep packing that together, infusing all of these moments, all of these truths with the presence of his resurrection. But still, still, going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight for you. It's going to be a fight for me. We're going to have to be intentional. Now, we can do that, though. We can do that because he's present. And we can do that because we can look to him. His presence, the gladness that he brings, we want it to motivate us. Look at what he told them to do. He, he told them to make disciples of all nations. Listen to this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you know what he's commanding them to do? Make every person they possibly can as glad as they possibly can. That's what the Great Commission is about, is it not? Now, you probably don't feel like that. Sometimes I don't either. I feel like, wow, that's such a burden. It's so heavy. You know, we've got to go make disciples. We've got to baptize them. We've got to teach them. It's a lot of wrestling, and it is. But when understood rightly, it is overflowing, overflowing with gladness. Nothing says gladness like the Great Commission. Nothing says gladness than going out into the world like those two guys on the road to Emmaus, like the disciples who were then sent out after their horrible Friday to make the world glad and to tell everyone that they can about Jesus who was gone. But he is present, and he is present forevermore. It's at the heart of what we believe. It is at the heart of the gospel, and it is this gladness. I just want to read for you one more text as we bring this time together to a close uh, that I would 
bring this to a close by, by showing you one more passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. You might take this with you this week and make it a meditation in your own heart as you move forward and you, and you try to hang on, hang on to the resurrection of Sunday and pull it into this week, then pull it into the next. Because this passage in Hebrews 12 reminds us, reminds us of the gladness of his presence. Because in his presence, we have the gladness of Christ. This is what it says. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and they are full of gladness, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Here it is. Who for the gladness set before him endured the cross. Your version may say joy. It is joy. It is gladness. It is happiness. It is rejoicing. It is exuberance. It is life. For the gladness set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne on God, throne of God. Four, consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, but so that you will grow in gladness. It's easy on a Easter Sunday to pursue it. We want to keep pursuing it, and that's the last use of this text this morning, is that we would pursue gladness like Jesus by enduring in and by his presence. Can you remember that? Write that down. Think about that this week, because you're going to come face-to-face, colliding with a hostile world, colliding with a, a remaining sin in you, with all of the, the world, the flesh, and the devil mounted against us, This is what we need to do. Pursue gladness in Christ. Maximize it. Magnify it. And do so. Because you know that he is alive. And you know that he is present. He is even present right here, right now. And he is full. He is full of gladness. That all begins by coming to Christ. We pray that if if you are not a believer today, today would be your day that you would no longer trust in your own works or, or something else that you could hold on to, but you would abandon all of that and count it as loss and that you would put all of your trust in Jesus Christ because he lived and he died and he rose again for sinners like us. That is what this day and every day is all about. If that's you, we want to hear from you. Reach out to another Christian who you know is faithful and understands what it, what it means to come to Christ and ask them, help me, help me follow Jesus. We want to help you do that. We want to hear from you. We want to pray for you. We want to meet with you. We want to walk together because our King is alive and he is present. Our Father in heaven, we bow our hearts before you because because of your presence. Because you are not far off. You are not far away out in space or somewhere else. You are not distant from us. Your back is not turned against us, but rather you are facing us by grace In Christ, you have given yourself to us and that it is the very evidence of your favor that you've given us your presence. And 
Oh God, we pray that as we move through this beautiful Resurrection Sunday that we would be able to carry a sense of your presence with us, that we would have the reminders that we need when things go well and when things go badly, that in it all, you are there. You are with us. We pray that we would be motivated, that we would be made glad, and that we would be full of hope because of this day and what it means for every other day and every other moment that our King is alive, He is with us, and He is not leaving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.